God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So, let me ask you that question. What does God sound? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when does God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially, the, the Bible is a, a collection of God Conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident, and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, I've said some bad pizza. Jesus said we'd recognise his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Jesus said he would build his church, that it was God's plan for his witness in the world. But the church can sometimes be a confusing place. Why are there so many different types? Can I be a Christian and not go to church? How do I find the right church for me? And what if I've been hurt by a church? Hi, and welcome to episode 48 of the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, speaker, and founder of this ministry that equips you to recognize and respond to God's voice. Today, we're talking about the topic, how church makes hearing God's voice easier. People often ask me, why do I need to go to church if I can hear from God directly? It's a good question. Let me tell you first up that you do not need to be in a church to hear God's voice. In fact, that's one of the reasons why Jesus said that our time was better than under the old covenant before he came. And the reason is that God's spirit would go anywhere and everywhere that we would go. Our bodies are described by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church as the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the place where he lives. It's it's his presence that dwells with us wherever we go. So that means he can speak to us anytime in any place. I often joke that God is most likely to talk to me when I'm brushing my teeth. In other words, I don't need a worship song or a church steeple or a liturgy to hear God's voice. However, that's not to say that church isn't incredibly important when it comes to hearing from God. In fact, you'll notice I talk about it a lot in my teaching in God Conversations. The more you are in healthy relationship with other people who know God, the easier it will be to hear his voice. I'll say it again. The more you are in healthy relationship with other people who know God, that's the church. The easier it will be to hear his voice. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is because in church we learn about what God is like through the life and teachings of Jesus. That's really what sermons are for. And when we know what God is like, we can more easily discern when it's him. Secondly, God uses other people to confirm what he's saying. It's the safety of more than one witness. When two or three people agree on something, it's more likely for a testimony to be true. I can't tell you how many times that someone has phoned me and said, Tanya, I had this dream about you and I think it's from God. And what they've heard is exactly what I have heard. God confirms it through the voice of other people. You see this happening through the pattern of the New Testament particularly. There's safety in numbers. There's safety in the community of God's church. 
That's what makes the teaching in this podcast so important. But before we get started, I want to give a shout out to all the new listeners who have joined us on the podcast this year. Welcome. Um, in my ministry this year, I've met so many wonderful people from the US, from Germany, Switzerland, the Netherlands, New Zealand and the UK, even from way over west in Wales, where apparently they speak English, but I still need a translator. It's been a big year of travel for me, and God's been opening up some wonderful doors. Can I ask you to continue to pray for us as we expand this essential ministry? And if you're a pastor or a leader, can I encourage you to make full use of the resources that we have online so that you and your people can be the church where everyone hears God's voice for themselves? Now onto the podcast, how being in church makes hearing God easier. Jesus said he would build his church, that it was God's plan for his witness to the world. But the church can sometimes be a confusing place. Why are there so many different types? Can I be a Christian and not go to church? How do I find the right church for me? And what if I've been hurt by the church? So what's your experience of church? From a very young age, I went to church every single week with my mum and dad, my entire family, and five of us kids. It was a super quiet, conservative church. You can imagine trying to handle five children. But everyone was very serious. We sang all the old-time hymns, and we didn't even have an organ. Then when I was 21 years old, I changed churches. This one belonged to my friend and it was super expressive. People would sing at the top of their voices. There was a band and drums. People were jumping up and down. And I'd been used to solemnity for so long. No one laughed in the church I grew up in. And they certainly didn't cry. So it was all a bit confronting for me. I can still remember how freaked out I felt sitting up the back, ready to bolt out the door at any moment. Today I visit a myriad of churches with my ministry. I travel all around the world and visit groups of all shapes and sizes and styles, from the very large to the small, from the old to the new, from the traditional to the contemporary. And although I have a preferred style of worship myself, I love seeing the breadth of God's church. I love the diversity. It reminds me that we all have such different personalities and expressions of our faith. So what is the church? Ironically, the founder of Christianity, Jesus, actually didn't talk much about the church. Did you know that? He didn't even really use the word. He just gave his disciples a commission to disciple people, to teach them about God and how they could get to know him. That's it. He didn't specifically say how to do it and what the church was supposed to look like. So today the church has come to mean very different things to different people. Let's talk about first up what the church isn't. First of all, the church is not a building or a temple. In fact, church buildings didn't even exist until the third century. So in the early days, the Christians met in the temple and then in the synagogues. They were largely Jews who had come to believe in Jesus. Later on, they met in houses, usually the biggest ones in town, so they could hold more people. But the church is not a building. It's not a place of worship or a temple. 
In the first century, the Temple of Jerusalem was a magnificent structure. In fact, there's a scene in the Gospels that describes the disciples commenting on how grand it was. Archaeology and history tells us it was truly beautiful. I remember my friend and I, we were visiting Italy not that long ago, and I feel that we had the same kind of feeling those disciples had as they toured around the church or the temple. In fact, when we were in Rome, our guide told us that there were over 900 church buildings in Rome alone. Each one of them was magnificent. And we felt very much like those disciples commenting on the beautiful features that were there. But when we read the Gospels about this scene, Jesus says a very strange thing to the disciples. He tells them that the building would fall, but that it would be raised up again in three days. The disciples didn't understand what he was talking about. But later on, he explained that the temple was a picture of his body, that he was going to die and be raised up again in three days. Interestingly enough, within that next generation, the prophecy came true that the temple was completely destroyed by the Romans. But Jesus was reminding us that instead of a physical temple, there would be a spiritual temple, firstly pictured as the person of Jesus, and then the followers of Jesus, who now carry the presence of God in their lives. God's people are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's people are the church, not the building. Along those same lines, the church is not an institution. It's not the programs and the services and the type of leadership and the policies that allow the church to work. This is just the mechanisms that enable people to organise themselves. So the type of structures will vary widely wherever in the world you go, and it's likely that they will reflect the culture that the church is found in. Let me give you an example. The institution of the Roman church with its bishops and priests and dioceses is based on the governmental models that existed at the time in Rome. The Presbyterian church is structured differently. It's structured around a group of elders and it's based on the Swiss model that emphasises plurality of leadership. In the same way, a congregational church has a different governance structure. It has voting power that lies in the congregation. But then there's other forms as well. A friend of mine was a missionary to Indigenous Australians and their church was organised around the various families and tribes in the group. So each tribal family was allocated a service or a week to coordinate the church's program. The institution functions to serve the church, the people of God, but they're not the same thing. Lastly, the church is not a political or national entity. Sometimes people talk about a a Christian nation or a Christian government, but this is a bit of a misnomer, as the Holy Spirit can only dwell within a person and not within a political entity. Of course, a government might express values that are in line with Christianity, but essentially a Christian serves a different kingdom to the kingdom of this world. Jesus constantly drew this distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world and how it operated. His kingdom was based on love, joy, and peace. In his kingdom, all the principles of the world are turned upside down. Sometimes in history, these two things, the church and the state, have combined. And this has been a huge problem. When the Emperor Constantine became a Christian, for example, in the early 300s AD, he formed what is called the Holy Roman Empire. People began to think you could be a Christian just by being born in a certain country or under a certain geographic boundary. 
And that created generations of people who called themselves Christians, but didn't always follow Jesus for themselves. So let's go back to our question. What is the church? If you think back to the teaching of Jesus, it's very simple. The church is the people who choose to follow Jesus. It's a gathering of those who believe that God sent his son to die for us, that he rose again, and he calls every one of us to know God and follow him. This is what unites us all. Our style of church might differ. Our buildings might look different. Our institutional structures may vary, and we may even vote for different political parties. But at the end of the day, we're defined by our fellowship to Jesus. To finish up, the scriptures use a number of metaphors to describe the church. Firstly, the church is a body, the hands and feet of Jesus. And just as his body is made of many parts, the body of Christ is also made of lots of different types of people. The church is also seen as a house, but it's not a physical house. In this house, the foundation and the cornerstone is Jesus, and the people are living stones that are built and fitted together on that foundation. Then the church is also a family, where there are spiritual sisters, brothers, mothers and fathers. Anyone who does the will of God is in his family. And finally, the church is a bride, a people who love God first, above all else. <laughs> Well, at least that's the theory. This is how God designed the church to be. But how does it look in practice? What do we do if we're hurt by the church? And why are there so many different types? How do I find the right one? It's hard to believe, isn't it, that only 50 years ago, it was considered normal that everyone went to church. For example, on a typical Sunday morning in the late 1950s in the US, almost half of the population were attending church, the highest percentage in US history. The same is true in other parts of the modern world. It was the done thing to do. Today, it's much less the case. Our weekends are packed full of social events, sporting matches, even house renovations, and church often gets left out. So the question is often asked, well, can you be a Christian and not go to church then? The short answer is yes, technically. You may have heard that old saying, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Remember, church is not the building or the program or the Sunday service. It's a group of people that are united by the presence of God's Holy Spirit amongst them. So if you have the Spirit, you're already part of God's church. The question is, do you choose to meet with them? So you can be a Christian without going to church, but you can't really grow as a Christian without the church. It's almost impossible to grow in our relationship with God without being in relationship with others who know Him. God designed it that way. We learn to love. We learn to live. We learn to give and receive through God's people. We learn to know what God is like through seeing him in the lives of others who know him. Let me describe it to you this way. Say you've got a friend who you've come to know fairly well. You've known them for a long time. You've spent time together. You've hung out and listened and shared life with them. Then one day you attend their birthday party. You meet their family, their work colleagues, their next door neighbour and the friend they went to school with. 
You hear more about their history with others. You hear about what they're like in a whole range of different contexts. And as you listen to those stories about your friend, you begin to know them in ways you've never experienced before. You see the fullness of who they are. It's just like that with God. When you meet others who know him, you get to know him more. You see what he's like through the eyes of other people and you start to recognise his voice more easily than you would ever do on your own. That's one of the reasons why it's essential that we all be a part of a church community. But being part of a church, remember, is not just attending a Sunday service. Sometimes people just go to a service and leave it as soon as it's over. That's not God's heart for us. This is about developing real relationships. When Jesus was teaching his disciples about what it meant to follow him, it wasn't just listening to him on the steps of the Jerusalem temple as he gave a sermon. No, he spent time with them. He ate meals with them. He talked with them. He did life with them. It wasn't just about meeting for an hour once a week. In fact, the early church had communion as an actual meal. They would worship together. They would hear teaching and they would hang out talking and fellowshipping as a part of the service. See, this is what church is all about. It's about developing real relationships. Today, churches largely do this sort of thing through small group networks where people meet regularly and share honestly about their lives. But however a church community does it, the key is to be open to developing honest and accountable relationships. You see, part of the church's function is to grow us up. We choose to follow God and then we learn to know him more. We become transformed into his likeness. This is the role of the church. It's the main source of teaching and learning. It's where discipleship occurs and it's where we learn to hear God's voice. If we don't belong to a church, to a community that loves God, the tendency is that we'll stay as spiritual babies. We'll stagnate in our growth. But God wants us to know him more. He wants us to grow up. Church offers a place where we get fed, where we get encouraged and built up. Of course, sometimes the church doesn't get it right. The church is full of flawed, sinful people who are all on the journey of being transformed with everyone at different stages of growth. And not every church community suits every person. It's about finding a church where you feel like you can get to know people and they can get to know you, where you feel a part of a spiritual community. For me personally, church has always been about the people. I couldn't flourish in my calling without the people who know God and who know me. They are the ones who've believed in me, the ones who have seen who I could be and the ones who've encouraged me every step of the way. They haven't been perfect, but they've been God-sent and God-appointed. I can remember so many times when I felt defeated and in despair, and I've joined with the church, and they've helped me to worship in the midst of it. They've encouraged me through the sermon. They've healed me with their prayers. They've lifted me by their words of encouragement. God's Spirit moves when we meet together. 
This is what God has for every single one of us. As Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 says, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let's keep encouraging one another. Let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's God's heart for the church. Thanks for listening to the show today. If you're not a part of a church community or you've got no one to talk to about your faith and the spiritual side of life, I encourage you to seek out a community that you can be part of. The church or the gathering of God's people are there to help you know God more. A number of years ago, back when I was studying my master's degree, we came across a technical hitch in our online chat room. There had been some sort of problem with the passwords, with the result that chat groups from all over the world had mixed together on the one page. There was an incredible mix of people, some I'd never knew even existed. There was a group of Elvis Presley music lovers, a group that was known for its love of American Indian jewellery, the Canadian Quilters Group, and of course, our very own Masters of Ministry group discussing leadership and management issues in the church. It was a funny situation seeing all these chat groups mixed together. You know, the church is often like that. Look around. We have people of all ages, all races, all backgrounds and careers. There's business people, writers, teachers, travel agents, students, plumbers, lawyers, sports people, and the list goes on and on. Where else but in the church do you find such a great diversity of people? Usually in society, people gravitate towards groups of their own type. Only God and technical hitches could ever bring them together. There's no other community quite like the church in bringing together such diversity. So what is it that unites us? What is it that makes us one church? Well, the church is built on this one unifying truth, the truth of the good news of Jesus, the fact that he died and rose again in order to lead us back to God and also give us access to his Holy Spirit who dwells in each one of us. The church is built on this one truth, no matter what part of the world they're in, whether it's the city or the country, whether it's young or old, whatever race it is, this one truth. You know, it's a truth that cuts across all social barriers. As the scriptures say that in Jesus there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female nor slave nor free. Of course, it's not always easy to bring so many different people together. When the church was first formed, the church had a hard time accepting difference. In particular, the issue was of different races. The Jews found it hard to accept that the Gentiles or non-Jews could be accepted into the faith. They thought It was just for them. So they were so shocked when the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles as well. You can read the story in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, it says that God who knows the heart showed them he accepted them, the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he gave it to the Jews. He made no distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles, for he purified their hearts by faith. In fact, it was always God's intention for the nations of the world to know him. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, was not just for the Jews, but for all people. 
You know, before this, the Gentiles had to go through a long, rigorous process to convert to Judaism. They'd have to be circumcised and they'd have to go through up to three years of intense instruction by the rabbis. And even then, they couldn't be known as pure Jews. But what was God doing now? He was making it clear that everyone could enter his presence because of what Jesus had done. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 4 says that there is just one body and one spirit, one hope to which we're all called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Of course, that doesn't mean that we're all the same. It just means that the foundation of our faith is the same. The church is built on the foundation of Jesus. And the truth is we're doing Jesus a disservice when as churches we add to those foundations, when we make things that are not foundational as an entry point into churches. The beauty of the church is that it welcomes everyone. I remember years ago in the church where I was trained, one of the young men there cut his hair. Then he peroxided it and he dyed it red and yellow for Christmas. I remember thinking at the time, you know, that's not my favourite hairstyle. But what a wonderful thing that everyone can celebrate their individuality and still come and worship together on the same foundation. But the question then comes, if we're all united on one foundation, why are there so many different churches? Why are there Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, Church of England and Pentecostal churches? Some sources say that there's approximately 38,000 different Christian denominations across the world. Why is that? Well, in order to answer that question, we need to look at a little bit of history. You see, at the very beginning of the church, there was only one type, the Catholic Church. In fact, the word Catholic means universal. And in many ways, that's still the case today. There is one universal church, one universal body of Christ. But under that banner today, there are also many different churches that vary in style and in some aspects of theology. So there was one church up until 1054, when at that time, there was a great schism, it's called. It occurred between the Western Church and the Eastern Church. The Western Church stayed as the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Church became the Orthodox Church. The Patriarch of Constantinople became the head of the Orthodox Church and the Pope, of course, was the head of the Catholic Church. They split for a number of reasons. Some significant, some not so much. There was leadership and power issues, but there was also some doctrinal differences, such as the celibacy of priests the dating of Easter, and even whether the priest should wear beards or not. So for a good 500 years, we see two branches of the church. Then the Protestant Reformation came and changed that scene all again. The Reformation occurred in the early 16th century, and it was brought on by a number of factors. The first was political. King Henry VIII wanted to marry again, and the Pope wouldn't allow it. So England made the break from Rome and formed the Church of England, or the Anglican Church. But the larger underlying reasons were theological. The issues related to teachings about salvation, the function of the clergy, and the authority of the Bible. There was also questions about the authority of the Church and how the Church should function in relation to the state. Figures like Martin Luther and John Calvin were 
key during this time, but there are also important contributions made by earlier figures like Jan Hus and John Wycliffe. From the time of the Reformation in the 16th century, there is a lot more individual freedom for the church to develop along its own lines. The teachings and the leadership was not so centrally controlled by the Roman authorities. So from this point, what you see is a proliferation of different Christian denominations that have developed according to different doctrinal emphases. For example, you get the development of the Baptist Church, which practiced full immersion of people who decide to follow Jesus as an adult rather than christening as a baby. Or you get the Presbyterian Church, who were distinguished by their system of government involving a group of Presbyters or elders. Much later, you get the Pentecostals, who places strong emphasis on the miracles and activity of the Holy Spirit. These days, there are hundreds of different denominations who are known for a whole range of different things. Some differences are significant. Some are more stylistic or peripheral issues. Many changes and shifts are merely the product of cultural changes, a dynamic that occurs in any organisation. It's interesting today, even those different denominational labels are slowly becoming obsolete. In many ways, that's a good thing, because at the heart of it all is the foundation, the foundation of Jesus. It's not about the types of songs that we sing. It's not about the length of the service or or what the minister is wearing. It's about what lies at the foundation, the worship of Jesus, the one who makes it possible for us all to be in relationship to God. When Jesus walked the earth, he said his people could recognise his voice and follow it, and that we've been given his spirit to speak to us wherever we go. That means hearing the voice of the spirit is even better than having a coffee with Jesus. Yet so many of us do not experience his voice that way. What does God sound like? And how can we know if it's him speaking? That's why my team and I have developed a whole range of online resources that will help you in your God Conversations journey. There's blog articles, podcast videos, and an ebook designed to equip you to recognize God's voice. And they're all available free at godconversations.com. Become a part of the growing community that hears God's voice and follows it by signing up to the blog today and receiving fortnightly updates straight to your inbox. God wants to speak to you today, clearly and personally. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. When I was growing up, the big controversial issue in our church was whether women should wear hats in services. After that, it was the wearing of tattoos. Then it was divorce and remarriage. Sometimes the church gets it right, but sometimes the church gets it wrong. Travelling around the world, I hear a lot of stories about the church, some good and some not so good. What do we do if we've been hurt by the church? Over the years, there's been a whole range of contentious issues that the church has had to deal with. You don't have to stay too long in a church to find yourself disagreeing with someone or being offended by someone. In my ministry today, I travel to churches all around the world, and I must admit, I hear a ton of stories of people who've been hurt by the church, and to be honest, they're not very nice. Oftentimes, the hurt and the pain is completely justified. Someone has lied. Someone has betrayed them. A pastor has abused their power. 
someone had told them that their clothes were wrong, their hairstyle was improper, or their actions were inappropriate. History is full of stories about churches who got it wrong. The pain is made worse, of course, by the fact that the church should know better. Here we have a group of Christians who make claims about following Jesus, about reflecting God's heart and about loving God and people above all else. We expect the church to get it right. And we're devastated that the very people who are called to be the body of Christ become instruments of such pain. Then there are times when the church loses its focus, when we start to major on the minors, so to speak. I remember one controversy in my church growing up. There was a huge battle over whether the communion should be held in the morning services or in the evenings. And there were a lot of arguments going back and forth, people quoting scripture references and loads of meetings to discuss what should be done. I remember as a teenager wondering what on earth the fuss was all about. Of course, some of the topics that the church needs to negotiate are not minor. In our church movement recently, they've been reviewing the legitimate reasons for divorce. For a long time, adultery and abandonment were seen to be the only biblical reasons why a marriage should be officially dissolved. But now there's a recognition that domestic abuse could be a legitimate cause. As time goes by, the church needs to constantly negotiate issues as they crop up with the changing times. We see this happening in the early church too. The big issue of that day was about food offered to idols. It was whether people should eat the meat that had been offered in sacrifice to one of the pagan gods. Some people thought, yes, it's fine. Some people thought, no, it's not. But here we see in the scriptures that the rule of thumb was that love should always be the guiding principle. Love is what it should be. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. And sometimes the church gets it wrong and it leaves damaged people in its wake. So what do we do then? What if it affects us personally? And we've been personally hurt by our church. Well, first of all, we have to recognise what the church is and what it isn't. It's easy to forget that the church is made of people, flawed and sinful people, people that have been saved by grace and made righteous by what Jesus has done, but who are also on a journey to becoming like him. And the truth is that every person is at completely different stages of that journey. Some are just starting. Some have been Christians for years, but are still learning what it means to imitate Christ. What we must never do is confuse the church for Jesus. And that includes pastors and leaders. Yes, they are called to higher account and they should be better role models and examples for us. But sometimes they're not. Sometimes they get it wrong. I knew of a church whose pastor committed adultery. He betrayed the trust of his people and it was a devastating scenario. He'd led this congregation for over 20 years and they trusted him as a man of God. But in response to that situation, some people walked away permanently from church. And what they'd done is they'd confused Jesus with Jesus' followers. 
Just because someone makes a mistake or does the wrong thing does not mean that God has changed. We must never confuse the character of God with the character of His people. The truth is, we can all make mistakes. We can all get it wrong. So that means while we respect our pastors and leaders, we keep them in perspective. They're human. They're sinful too. So we need to keep our eyes on Jesus first and foremost. Secondly, what we need to do is to work through a process of forgiveness. We choose to respond to the person who's wronged us with grace. And that doesn't mean that person is let off the hook for their bad behaviour. There may still need to be consequences and a process of restoration. And sometimes that process may not even lead to full reconciliation. But as individuals, we can still choose an attitude of forgiveness towards them. And in doing so, we can still maintain our own relationship with God. And we can still be involved with his people as we are called to be, each one of us. People have all sorts of ideas about what the church is. So we've been looking at what the church isn't. It's not an institution, a building, a program or a service. It's more like a body where God's people are the hands and the feet. It's like a family where the members are like brothers and sisters. It's like a house where Jesus is the foundation and his people are built together on him like living stones. It's like a bride where his people love God first and foremost. We've also been talking about the purpose of the church. It's to build us up, to encourage us and make us more like Jesus. It was Jesus himself who said he would build the church and he uses his people together to fulfil his purposes. It was designed to be his gift to us. But of course, sometimes the church does get it wrong. Sometimes there's unnecessary controversy and sometimes people get hurt. And in those cases, we're called to keep our eyes on Jesus and to keep showing grace to others. Just because we've been hurt doesn't mean we need to move churches. We're called to love. We're called to persevere, to forgive our brothers and sisters and to be a part of God's church. However, sometimes we are looking to move churches. Sometimes we find ourselves in transition. We've just moved house or we've moved cities or we've moved into a new season of spiritual growth and we might find ourselves also looking to move churches. So in those cases, how do we know which one is the right one for us? It can be difficult to choose. There's an amazing array of churches around. I was looking at a few recently on the internet with some rather interesting names. What about this? the Apostolic Faith Church Body of Jesus Christ of the Newborn Assembly. It's a church in Ohio in the US. Or what about this one? The No Hope United Methodist Church in South Carolina. Or my favourite, the Waterproof Baptist Church in Louisiana. Every church, of course, is different because the people in them are different. So what I want to give you today is three questions that will help guide you through the process of finding the right church for you. The first question to ask is this. It's directed Godward. And the question is, is God honoured in this church? Does the church, and in particular the leadership, love God first and foremost? 
Are they doing their best to follow Jesus? And is the presence of the Holy Spirit welcomed here? In many respects, these questions lie at the heart of every church. Things like worship style or or whether the songs are old or new or what kind of music it is, these are all secondary. The second question is directed people would. And the question is, can I get along with these people? Do I feel like I can be a part of this community? Remember, church is not a service or a building. It's a group of people in relationship to one another. And it's about the sharing of our spiritual lives. So if you don't feel like you can open up and share your life with the community, then it may not be the church for you. It's so important that we can feel accepted and loved for who we are and where we can flourish in relationship with others. That's what the church is all about. It's directed God would, but it's also directed people would. The last question is directed inwardly. And it's to ask this, does the church believe in God's purpose for my life? Can what God is calling me to do flourish in this community? Can I grow in my faith here? If the answer to those questions is no, it may not be the right church for you. I remember as a young person in my mid-twenties, God spoke to me and this is what he said, for my purpose in your life to be fulfilled, I want you to change churches. I was devastated because I loved the church that I'd been a part of. I'd been involved there for about five or six years. I was involved in the missions work. So many of my friends were there. And logically, there was no reason to move. I loved the pastor. I enjoyed the teaching and the worship. But God's call was clear. So I spoke to my pastor. I spoke to my close friends. And they all agreed that it was clear that God was speaking. So I did what God said. I moved to this other church he'd been speaking about. It was much smaller. In fact, it was only a pioneer church. It had been started a year or so before. And as time went on, as it turned out, it became very clear why God wanted me there. Soon after I arrived, he spoke to my pastor. She mentored and trained me in a way that could never have happened in my former church. I was raised up in leadership and I flourished in my friendships and in my relationships. It wasn't about the style or the location or the denominational label. It was about the people that God was connecting me to, the people who I could learn from and grow with. See, ultimately, this is what the church is designed to be like. It's a life source for God's people. It's what he has for each one of us. He has a place within his body, within his family, within his community. And even though sometimes the church can get it wrong, and sometimes the churches might do things that we might disagree with, that we don't like, at the heart of it, the key central component of church is that it's God's purpose for us to grow and to flourish. And that purpose is for every single one of us. God wants us to find our place in his church. I hope you've enjoyed the series on What About the Church? And it's my prayer that each one of you listening will be able to find God's place for you so that you can flourish in your purpose there. Great to have you on the show today. Don't miss the next episode by subscribing on iTunes. Search for God Conversations with Tanya Harris and click subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review so others can learn to hear God's voice too. 